Sundays at 1500 and 2000 UTC. Welcome to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. I'm John Tanza in Washington, working on this program via remote. Here are some of the top stories making news across Sudan and South Sudan this Tuesday, November 15, 2022. Activists meet to discuss how to bring change to their countries. World Liberty Congress is, is actually a combination of framework to train freedom movement across the globe, movements that are battling and resisting autocrats uh, regime or dictatorship. And the health officials in South Sudan say there are high numbers of children suffering from measles in the country. They carry their children, they come out, they mix with other kids. I think that is one of the cause of the spreading uh, from measles. We'll have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. A group of opposition activists from around the world gathered in Eastern Europe to build an alliance to pursue political and regime change in their countries. The World Liberty Congress, in partnership with Freedom House, Humanity United, Human Rights Foundation and other international organizations, is working at bringing together leaders and pro-democracy movements under autocratic regime. Tut Riyak-Jikeng is the spokesperson of a group of South Sudanese opposition activists who attended the conference. He tells Nabil Biagio his associates are working to bring about political change in South Sudan. World Liberty Congress is, is actually a combination of framework to train freedom movement across the globe, movements that are battling and resisting autocrats uh, regime or dictatorship and their network. Um, as you know, and many of us know that the dictators around the, the world are working together. So they hold uh, summits uh, to, to actually sharpen their, their power and, and a way to, to control uh, those under them. So, uh, World Liberty Congress comes in and actually train those freedom movements that are, are actually tools that can be used against uh, dictatorships. So this one is very important for um, for freedom fighters to, to actually uh, have some knowledge about. Like actually, for a lot of us that uh, that participate in this event, um, we we thought it was only us that was dealing with with regimes like that in our own country. But we found out this was actually is common around the world. Um, there are people that are actually going, uh, going through worse events than we were, uh, such as the Hong Kong uprise that were there, um, you know, such as China, Venezuela, uh, Nicaragua is another country that's having a, uh, issues there. So the event was hosted um, by uh, Gary uh, Kasparvo. He's a, he's a world chess player from Russia. He's a pro-democracy activist. And the second person is uh, uh, Leopoldo Lopez, uh, the opposition leader for Venezuela. And another journalist, uh, a woman from Iran. Um, I, I, couldn't, I can't say her name right. And lastly, the event was, was pretty much hosted by the by Lithuania Parliament and the Minister of Foreign Affairs, 
And uh, Lutene is known for hosting uh, many opposition leaders because they were once um, in that situation where they had to fight for their freedom. You went to this conference with other South Sudanese opposition activists. Uh, tell me about your team and their backgrounds. This was uh, initiated by uh, Dr. Peter Biar. As you know, Dr. Biar is a scholar and he's also a political activist. The main challenge now that we have in South Sudan is that there are various opposition groups with different interests. And this actually is making a lot of things very difficult for anyone to help South Sudan oppositions. So we first started with, with many of the oppositions that 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 we, we normally um, associate with. But uh, for this instant, uh, this was seen by other opposition as very critical, could damage their, their interests because some of the oppositions are actually gambling between having some type of agreement with Salfakir and, uh, and go back to Juba. Some are, are there. And then there's those oppositions that are saying, you know what, uh, the, the leaders have been given enough time, there's too many extensions, and they need to go. And this is where we narrow down the list uh, to where we got the, the political uh, activists. So we win as five uh, five groups. Uh, Dr. Biar couldn't make it. He had other obligations. So their backgrounds is, is uh, you know, because there are some sensitive information that I might not be able to reveal. But all I can say is that these these uh, political activists, they're, they're there to, to say the regime has been given enough time uh, along with their vice presidents. Uh, now they grow to be five five vice presidents. We went there with the with the information that there's no longer any more time for these uh, leaders to be in South Sudan. They must go. President Salvaqir was elected in 2010. He's the legitimate president of South Sudan and was just invited by President Biden to attend the U.S. Africa summit. Why do you call him illegitimate and a dictator? South Sudan has never had an election a legitimate election. Um, what happened, how did Kir become a, a leader in South Sudan is that it was just in the Liberation Council, they're the one that appointed him. It was not that South Sudanese citizens were never consulted. There was never a consensus that was done in order for, for us to vote. Um, so the reason we say this, that he's a dictator, is because none of us has experienced election in South Sudan, a legitimate election being witnessed by the world, uh, by a national community and all this. And by the way, I'm glad you, you asked this question. Why would Kir be, be actually um, invited to come to Washington, D.C.? As you know, uh, Salfakir has not come to the U.S. for a while. Um, normally, he'll send uh, his delegates. Um, we feel um, that him being invited is to actually sort out issues where they can sit with them eye to eye. Because if you go to Juba today and you go sit with Selfa, just like what Nikki Haley did back uh, a few years ago, she couldn't ask the questions she, she needed to ask um, because she's under pressure. She's in a different country. But I, I, it's a good uh, opportunity for the U.S., to call Kir here 
because U.S. played a major role in South Sudan to be independent today. It's to sit them in a room, eye to eye, let them know is this is the way the U.S. stands. During this conference, you had the chance to interact with other opposition activists from the region, like Bobby Wine of Uganda, but from West Africa, the ECOWAS countries, from Central Africa, Burundi, and other countries beyond. What did you learn that can be applied in the context of South Sudan? That's a very good question, and uh, thank you for that. Um, we had a regional meeting, and we found a common pattern. Um, when we sat down, we said, okay, what are the patterns that we, we see in, in the region, and how can we tackle these, uh, these patterns? Um, so as you, as you can see and have you witnessed before, uh, the autumn spring started with just one country and it spread all over. Um, uh, Uganda, uh, Bobby Wine, when he came, um, he's, he's energized and he's already started a, a, a plug. Um, so we, we sat down and we said, you know, and how can we build off of this and, and spread her, uh, uh, around the, uh, the region? Uh, one, one main thing is for us to, to create a global network among ourselves where we have a tool, um, to, to connect ourselves and communicate very well. And we'll hold meetings. So let's say if, if something happened in Kenya today, all of us will go together and we will go there and actually raise our voice. Any, anything that's happening around the region, we're all going to go together as team, as one network, just like the dictators are doing in Africa uh, at the moment. So those are the common patterns we found. That was Tut Riak Jikeng, a South Sudanese opposition activist, speaking with my colleague Nabil Bihajo from the U.S. state of Texas. <music> Commuters and drivers using the Juba Maridi Road are expressing concern about what they say are too many illegal checkpoints along the road, which links the capital to Western Equatorial State, an area known as the potential breadbasket for South Sudan. For VOA News, Juliana Shiapai has the story from Juba. Drivers say there are 21 illegal roadblocks along the 149-mile stretch from Juba to Maridi Town. Commuters say the bad state of the road and the behaviors of some security forces who extort money from drivers has also discouraged trade between Juba, Mundri, Maridi, and Yambio. Gismal Lajuma, a driver who often travels between Juba and Maridi County, says it takes him an entire week to cover the 149 miles during the rainy season. He notes that back in 2014, President Salva Kiir ordered the removal of an illegal roadblock or checkpoints to ease the commute between in Juba and other states in South Sudan. However, on the Western Equatorial State Road, it hasn't been enforced. From here, you load your car for you to reach up to Yambio. We have almost 21 roadblocks, and at every roadblock, you will get around seven offices. And for you to exit that roadblock, you will have to leave behind an amount of almost 20 plus thousand South Sudanese pounds, because in every office, you are to pay 3,000 to 4,000 South Sudanese pounds. Travelers using public transport from Juba to Maridi often pay 25,000 South Sudanese pounds per person, while passengers heading from Juba to Yambio pay 30,000 South Sudanese pounds per passenger. 
Juma says his vehicle takes 12 passengers and all his proceeds are spent on paying security officers at illegal roadblocks. You will find military intelligence, CID, traffic police, fire brigade and police, plus the guy who opens the roadblock. It does not allow us to be motivated to work. So if you are not a strong driver or you do not have an understanding person who is the owner of the car, if you go for one trip, the owner of the car can take back his car and say the driver is a thief. That is one thing. The second thing is the road. For you to go, you need to plan for seven to eight days or nine days sometimes. You also go and reach the end point and find that you have run out of cash. The owner of the vehicle has to rescue you by sending you money from his pocket. Juma says it's not uncommon to run out of cash while driving on the road. Juba town residents Mary Daniel who visited the Ezekiel Transportation Company offices earlier today for items sent to her from Maridi says she wants to visit her relatives in Maridi but she is discouraged because of the state of the road and the high prices of bus tickets. The road to Maridi is very bad during this rain season. We cannot go. So now if we need something from there, they just have to send it to us. And if you want to go Go, there is no way, and it's also expensive. It's 30,000 South Sudanese pounds up to Yambio. That is why we just wait for our things here in Juba. But we really want to go. We do not know what can be done. It often takes up to eight hours for drivers to travel from Juba to Western Equatorial State, capital Yambio, during the dry season. Maridi County is 149 miles west of Juba Town, but it sometimes takes three days to reach Maridi Town due to bad roads conditions. For VOA News, I'm Juliana Shapai in Juba. Leaders from Agoro community in Juba are calling on the government to intervene and stop the rampant movement of cattle herders in central Equatorial state. This program reported yesterday that armed pastoralists suspected of being from Jungle state attacked and killed five people last week in Juba county. A leader of Boro community denies any involvement of his community in the killing. For VOA News, Manyang David Mayan reports from Juba. Yesterday, South Sudan in focus reported armed pastoralists suspected of being from Jongle State's Bor County attacked the Nyajerebe area of Lokiri Payam in Juba County, killing five people late last week. The pastoralists are suspected of heading back to Magui County, an area they left a few months ago after the government ordered them to do so. Agoro community leaders held a news conference in Juba this morning regarding the development. Otim David Okot, the Agoro Community Information Secretary, said cattle headers from Jongle State are returning in huge numbers to areas across eastern Equatorial State while threatening the host communities. So we have been following gathering reports before these uh, maneuvers again of the cattle keepers from the Nisi2 areas going back again to reoccupy. Uh, the land in Agoro, the land in uh, Mali, in uh, other areas, uh, in uh, Pageri or Winkibul and the rest, including Lobone. Earlier this year, cattle keepers, most of whom came from Jongle State, were ordered to leave Eastern Equatorial State following several attacks and counterattacks between the pastoralists and host communities, which include many farmers. 
Okot says the pastoralists reportedly killed five people in farming communities of Lokori Payam, something he referred to as a fresh reoccupation of the farming land by jungle cattle haders. Oh, no. To make the matters worse, you know, these animals here are for some leaders who are in this government here. Very powerful. You know, some of, uh, some of these people that have stayed long in government, they have amassed enough wealth for themselves. They have bought uh, these animals and they are using now, they have even gone to the extent of demobilizing the regular forces who are supposed to help in defending the territorial integrity and the property of the people of South Sudan to protect their wealth. Okot says there is a looming humanitarian crisis in the Agoro areas if the situation is not averted. Angogoronkwal, one of the leaders of Bor community, denies anyone from his community was involved in the reported killing of five people, but says two cattle camp ships were arrested following last week's incident in Lokriri Payam and are cooperating with investigators. So up to this moment, the the ships, two ships in that cattle camp, are actually arrested by the government and still investigation is going on. Uh, but we feel sorry really when we see people lose their life like that. And also the cattle who have trickled back have been asked actually to, to trip back to 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 jungle. And this cattle camp have started moving back actually. Kual says the two ships are being investigated in Juba following the accusation by the host community. He is asking the host community to remain calm as the law takes a due course and after the real perpetrators of the last week's attack are identified and arrested. For VOA News, I'm Anyang David Mayor in Juba. You are listening to South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America. Coming up, health officials in South Sudan say 400 children are struggling with measles in the country. Find out why after the break. What do you think? People speak out on important questions. The question today... What are you thankful for? I'm thankful for life. The fact that I am able to live a full life and be able to do the kind of things that I want to do. I'm very thankful for my life, my children, and my job. My job helps me to get money. I'm very, very thankful for that. I thank Allah for my life and for my parents. I'm grateful because I've attained at least education. Uh, Education is going to help me get a job and get other opportunities in life. I'm thankful for my family, my friends, my husband, my children, and all the lovely friends of mine who have been helpful to me. What do you think? A daily discussion of important questions from VOA. You are listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. Some civil society activists in Sudan are calling on authorities to declare a state of emergency after the spread of dengue fever. The death toll has risen to 10 after Sudanese health authorities confirmed two more people died yesterday at El Obeid Hospital in northern Kordofan state. Michael Atit reports for VOA from Khartoum. 
Health officials in a Lubei town of North Kordofani state say two teenage students died on Monday, bringing the death toll in the state to seven. Speaking to South Sudan in focus from El Lubei town earlier today, Dr. Amal Khalil, director of El Lubei International Hospital, said the students died yesterday after being admitted in the health facility last week. Dr. Khalil says there are reports of people dying in communities before they reach health facilities, so the actual death toll figure could be far higher than what is being reported. We lost a young girl of primary four and another one aged 16 years who was in secondary school. And I saw on social media a 14-year-old girl who also died in the community. And we also lost a football player as well. I believe that elders are also dying and most of them are not reaching the hospital. Sudan Health Minister Haitham Mohammed Ibrahim confirms eight people died from the disease, including five in North Kordofani state. Dr. Khalil says Danic fever cases in North Kordofan seems to be overcoming the measures put in place by health authorities and aid agencies to stop the spread of the disease. Meanwhile, some local civil society activists in Alubaid are calling on authorities to declare Alubaid and nearby localities a disaster area. Activists are calling on international health agencies to intervene. Speaking to this program by phone from Elway Town earlier today, the head of Arusa Rimal charitable organization, Hamza Makawi, describes the situation as horrible. This is the right time to make the declaration. If the national and state authorities are not capable of containing the situation, they better call on the international health experts to come for the aid of our people. This needs a courageous appeal for help. Khalid Al-Majzoub, who heads Al-Ubaid Civil Society Network, blames the situation on a lack of awareness. He says people need to keep the environment clean and take all suspected cases to the hospital before it is too late. The issue needs serious environmental cleanliness all over the town and should be done continuously. Currently, there are positive activities in the area to contain the spread of the disease, which did not happen at the start of the outbreak. The United Nations Office for Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs in Sudan, or UN OCHA, reported the outbreak of Danic fever in a statement last week. UN OCHA also reported monkeypox, measles and hepatitis E in various states in addition to 1.7 million cases of malaria in 12 localities. Danic fever is a mosquito-borne illness that occurs in tropical and subtropical areas of the world. Mild Danic fever causes a high fever and flu-like symptoms. For VOA News, I am Michael Atit in Khartoum. Health workers and officials in the South Sudan capital, Juba, say measles cases are on the rise since an outbreak was declared in July this year. Officials say more than 400 children suffered from measles between July and October. Sheila Pony reports for VOA from Juba. Rebecca against two children, one-year-old adult Majok and seven-year-old Achandir Majok are among the most recent victims of an outbreak of measles in Juba. 
When Agir arrived at Al Shaba Children's Hospital, she had no idea the symptoms her children were presenting were connected to measles. Agir says she constantly worries her four other children will get the disease because Lolobo too, where she lives, is a measles hotspot. For me, of course, of this sickness, she says measles. She has something. I was thinking maybe it's cause of malaria, cause of mosquito, but when I came here, people say measles. My daughter here, she has one year. Yeah, she's one year old. This one, she has seven years. Yeah, this is my daughter. Both my children got this sickness. Yeah, I'm worried maybe I can lose one of them, but now I'll not lose one of them. I'm happy now. <laughs> Wilma Seida Stanley a data collector at Al-Shaba Children's Hospital in Juba says there has been steady increase in the number of measles cases. In July, we have eight cases of measles. Now that in September, we have cases of measles 111, that three. Uh, in October, we have cases of measles 176. Above is 15, that that is two. They all cases of measles from July up to October. We have 355 cases of measles. Stanley says 28 cases have been recorded. Statistics indicate nearly 500 children in South Sudan are believed to have been infected with measles between July and mid-November. She says many more cases are unreported because most parents believe in local hubs to treat their children rather than taking them to hospital. The risk of measles has been exaggerated by gaps in vaccination coverage and a failure to implement effective measles prevention measures. Dr. Alexandra Anthony, a pediatrician at Al Shaba Children's Hospital, believes the country needs to wrap up its measles vaccination campaign. They carry their children, they come out, they mix with other kids. I think that is one of the causes of spreading uh, for measles. Sometimes we get measles patients and where they are not supposed to be. So that is helping to spread the infection. And if they can stay in where we put them, that will be better. So if the NGOs can help uh, us to provide the vaccines uh, for, for all the children, uh, it will be helpful. Measles can be fatal. The virus causes a high fever and distinctive rash that begins on the face and spreads throughout the body. Severe complications can include pneumonia, severe diarrhea, blindness, brain swelling and death. Dr. Anthony says her team frequently struggles to keep children alive who are suffering from measles. Sometimes we have uh, more than one patient who needs oxygen, but it is hard to get oxygen. Uh, like, um, let me say it is not that available. And then the same oxygen we are using there, they are bringing it from uh, from emergency ward, from, from OPD or emergency ward. They bring them from there, we use it for those kids, and then again we, they take it if there is need, and then they give whoever is in need more. Even though a safe and cost-effective vaccine is available in 2018, there were more than 140,000 measles deaths.
mostly among children under the age of five, according to the World Health Organization. The measles vaccination resulted in a 73% drop in measles deaths between 2000 and 2018 worldwide, says WHO. In 2018, about 86% of the world's children received one dose of measles vaccine by their first birth date through routine health services that's up from 72% in 2000. From 2000 to 2018, measles vaccination prevented an estimate 23.2 million deaths, making measles vaccine, which experts say is one of the best preventive campaigns in public health. For VOA News, I am Sheila Pony in Juba. That's all we prepared for you this Tuesday. Don't forget to check out voaafrica.com for all your favorite programs and news updates. If you miss this broadcast, go to www.voaafrica.com forward slash South Sudan. We now leave you with the song New Sudan by Musa Juma. Listening to the song New Sudan by Musa Juma. I'm your host, John Tanz in Washington. Thanks for taking time to be with us. Remember to join us tomorrow for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America.